Thank you for listening to Crossroads Community Church of Jefferson Hills. At Crossroads, our mission is to be the church by sharing and showing the love of Christ and inviting others to be recipients of Christ's love. Now, here is this week's message from Pastor Floyd Hughes. Uh, good morning, Crossroads. Uh, welcome to our Sunday morning worship celebration where we love celebrating Jesus, even in the fall, which apparently we are full on in the middle of fall. Uh, weather changed dramatic, drastic, drastic, a lot. Weather changed a lot. Uh, so this is that time of the year, that kind of in-between time, where people change out their closets. Does anyone else do that? Yeah. Put way to the... All of us who don't have huge walk-in closets, we do that. We get rid of all that stuff. And I am in the middle of kind of pulling out some stuff. But I kind of want to keep some stuff because, you know, the weather. It's Pittsburgh. Um, October 1st, it could be 93 degrees. But Here, here's something I want everyone to, to, to understand. It doesn't matter uh, what we think that we're facing. It could be medical issues. It could be financial issues. If you are a follower of Jesus Christ, you do not face them alone. You face them with the creator of the universe standing by your side. So God, we, we lift up everyone who may be facing some kind of struggle. Maybe it's uh, a financial struggle. Maybe it's a relationship issue. Maybe it's just, uh, and we pray for Gary, who's recovering from surgery. We pray for his health and his well-being. Uh, and maybe it's just trying to recover and get back up to strength. But we pray that we, as followers of Jesus Christ, acknowledge, realize, and take to heart that we have the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords going through those struggles with us. We do not go through them alone. We pray this in Jesus' name, and everyone said, amen. amen. Uh, I just want to do a quick check-in with the folks who are watching online because someone said all they hear is a buzzing. Uh, if you're unable to hear the microphone, oh, nope, someone said sounds good now. Good, okay, there you go. We are continuing in the book of Ephesians, uh, where we're going to spend some time there over the next couple of weeks, uh, and we're going to look a lot at a lot of spiritual information uh, so that we can see the practical application uh, of how it's relevant to our lives today. Now, uh, I know last week we spent giving a lot of background on the book of Ephesians, uh, and if you want to turn there now, open your Bible to the book of Ephesians chapter 1 because we're going to go there in just a minute. I just want to give you a little bit more background that will explain uh, a little bit more of why Paul, when he wrote this, went in the direction that he did. Now, uh, Ephesus is where the Ephesians lived, and it's like a little port uh, city, um, and it was a, a huge city. I forget how many people were there, but it was a, a prominent port city. And because it was right on the coast, uh, it was a, a, a place for international trade, I don't know if you can see it on the screen here, but at the bottom where it says Alexandria, that's Egypt. Uh, over there you see kind of West Bank, Israel, Jordan on the lower in blue. Uh, that's like a lot of the Middle East. Off to the left where it says Greece and Athens, that's obviously Greece and Athens. So all of these different nations, and you can imagine all the nations at that time, would come into this city to do trade, and, and to uh, pick up items to, to go sell to other places. 
which means because it was an international port city, it was a hub of entertainment. Now, when we think of an entertaining city, we think of like Las Vegas. Has anyone ever been to Las Vegas? Don't be ashamed to raise your... Okay, yeah, two of us, okay. But um, here's the thing. In Vegas, because it's like capital entertainment, all kind of pleasures. Some pleasures you don't want to think about, and that's okay. Uh, some pleasures like gambling, shows, all this kind of stuff. Uh, first time I went to Vegas was for a wedding, so we didn't get a chance to take in all that. We were just focused on the wedding stuff uh, for a cousin. But then the next time it was me and my sons went for kind of like a, a guy's hangout thing. And um, uh, I'm into like uh, David Copperfield magic, not the author, David Blaine, that type of thing. I'm also poor, so I couldn't afford that. So we found a show, because the gambling, not my thing, but the show's all about it. Also couldn't afford Shania Twain or anyone else. So we went off, 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 off the strip. Um, and I think instead, I think our, the, the tickets we went to for a comedian, he wasn't like an A-list comedian. He was more like a K, like way down there. Tickets for A-list comedians were like 150. His were like 12. And there were only 20 people in the room, but it was still entertaining, right? So Ephesus imagined Vegas, but without the lights because they didn't have electricity back then. But imagine that type of entertainment. People coming in from all over the world, getting all kind of entertainment. So now imagine, Paul goes there, there's Jewish believers, and like we talked about last week, he shares the gospel, and then all of these people who are in the entertainment industry suddenly start committing their lives to Christ. So they're coming in with different backgrounds. They're coming in with different cultures. They're coming in, well, I always dress this type of way from an entertainment perspective. And all of these different things are coming together. So Paul writes to them, and he starts by explaining again, even though he explained this when he was there, hey, here's what salvation really means, right? Here's, here's I get you're coming from different backgrounds and cultures. Here's what it really means. But also, uh, here's what sanctification means. And that's the process whereby day-to-day, step-by-step, as we go through life, we're being made more and more into the image of Christ. And he explains that in a, like we said before, Sesame Street style so everyone can understand it. But then he explains this one, which is really, really big when you have people from different cultures and beliefs and backgrounds all coming together. He says, here's how we can live together, uh, live out the Holy Spirit in us in a way that's God-honoring, right? Because we got to live with one another, not just on Sunday, but in the city, and we're doing life together. Here's how we can do all of that stuff together with people who grew up differently, who were raised differently, who had different political beliefs, all this kind of stuff, right? And, and, and this is why... Same thing, we spend so much time here going through the Word. I said this last week uh, because the importance of sharing the love of Christ with people, sharing God's Word, like we read from Ephesians when we started, that's the life mission of the church. That's why we spend so much time going through the Word of God. But here's the thing, if we're not living it out and showing the love of Christ with our actions, with the way we treat people, it means absolutely nothing. I was talking to someone uh, earlier this week who, um, actually it was just two days ago, so like Friday, the end of the week, who was claimed to be a Christian, but felt like they needed to demean and ridicule someone else for their beliefs. And I'm like, hey, if we're Christians, 
We don't get to do that. I'm not saying their beliefs are right, but we don't get to demean and ridicule them. We can discuss with them why we believe what we believe, but we don't get to make fun of them and call them out. And then he turned and decided, well, I won't ridicule them. Now I'm going to ridicule and demean you. And I'm like, okay, obviously, we don't have the same understanding of what it means to show the love of Christ. Because what God told me is, I'm supposed to love my enemy. I don't have to support what they do, believe in what they do, but I'm supposed to love them. I'm supposed to love my neighbor. I don't have to support what they do, believe what they believe, but I'm supposed to love them. And I'm supposed to love you. If you claim to be a Christian, he says, a new command I give you, love one another the way that I have loved you. I was like, that's what it means to me to be a Christian. You're doing a whole different thing, so I'm out. Just ended the conversation, have a good day, God bless you. But this is why it's so important. Just saying, hey, we're Christians and come to our church and this, that, and the other means absolutely nothing if we're not showing the love of Christ, the people that do come. But the huge part of that, the foundational part of being able to do that is being able to understand what salvation means, which is why Paul starts out with his letter, even though he spent like two years in Ephesus teaching this, he starts out with his letter explaining and talking about salvation. Uh, so if you have a Bible, um, open up to the book of Ephesians, chapter 1, and we're going to jump through a couple of verses this morning. And even though we read verses 1 and 2 last week, I'm going to start there. Uh, verse 1 says this, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, to the saints in Ephesus, the faithful in Christ Jesus. So again, he's writing this to Christians. He's not writing this to people that don't know Christ. He's not writing this to people that don't believe in Christ. He's not writing this to people that say, well, I would like to know more about your God, but I don't believe in him yet. This isn't for them. This is spiritual stuff that he's going to explain as a foundation for Christians. Right? He says, grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. And I had to forego just having a whole conversation about all those people who like, hey, God wants to bless us with money and finances and all that stuff, because that's not the case. It's not what prosperity means. Prosperity from God's perspective means I'm going to put you in a better place than when you started. doesn't necessarily mean money. Just the fact that you're with me means you have prospered from God's perspective. Right? Uh, and he says, but here's the spiritual blessing that we get from Christ. He chose us, that's God, for he, God, chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. Now, if you, if you are one of those people that writes in your Bible, circle that and highlight that and underline it or do whatever you want, because there's a lot of people, this brings up a whole lot of heartache with people, because there's some people who say, well, if God chose me to do this, then God took away my choice, and I don't have free will. I know some people who believe that. I know some people who are like, wait, that doesn't even make sense. But there are people who think, hey, if God, before the world was created, looked down and he chose me, right? Then they're saying, well, he forced me into it, and I didn't have a choice. And that's not true. And Paul goes on and he explains this in a little bit, because this isn't about our choice. He's not talking about anything that we did. He's talking about everything that God did, and he explains that God chose us, and he says he did it 
in love. So he says, in love, he predestined us to be adopted as his sons through Jesus Christ in accordance with his pleasure and will to the praise of his glorious grace, which he has freely given us in the one he loves. So this is a mouthful. Um, and there are whole, whole, whole denominations that have formed on either side of this understanding of predestination. So uh, I'm only going to spend a little bit of time on it because I really don't care about either of those denominations. I'm not trying to be rude, but I'm only talking about here's what the Bible says. So the word predestined, if you look it up in the Greek, it's a phrase that means to foreordain or decree beforehand to a point or determine before or in advance, which is why I had you circle that word before. It is all about doing something before something else happens. So there are people on both sides of this argument, and, and, the, and this, this is, again, no, no, no shame on them, but some of the people on one side of the argument says, oh, well, God didn't predestine us. And they say, when you look at this word, it's not what it means. And they flip it and say, it means he just made that decision at the time, which is not true. Because here's the thing, Paul uses a word, he not only uses it here, he uses it in another verse, which I'll show you in a minute, and Peter uses the same terminology to communicate to people, whether we agree or not, he uses a word that communicated something specific to them. When they heard predestined, they thought, oh, so you're saying that he foreordained or he did this before or in advance. It would be the equivalent of, let me give you an example, if I said to everyone in the room, sorry for those watching online, if I said to everyone in the room, hey, after this, we're all going to go to my house and we're all going to have lunch. And everyone was like, cool, this is an example. Don't everyone go storming because you can't even all fit in my house. But this is just an example. But imagine if I said after, after this Sunday celebration, we're all going to go have lunch at my house. And everyone in the room said, cool, I'm in. So we all made the trek over to my house. We get to my house. I have, and this is delicious, if you ever go to Stone Church Farms and, uh, on the road to Finleyville, they have this great fresh pressed apple cider. So I give everyone some apple cider. And then I break out uh, some Monopoly games, um, some other board games. Uh, I break out um, old school Nintendo for those who want to play video games. And then Jax and I sit in the back and we're doing VR stuff. And everyone's having fun. And then a couple of hours later, after we're playing games, I say, okay, everyone, time for you guys to go home because it's time for my afternoon nap. And you guys are like, wait, 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 wait. I thought we were going to have lunch. You told us you were going to give us lunch. And if I said to all of you, well, that's what lunch means to me, just playing games and drinking apple cider, how many people will think that's not what lunch means? Yeah. Lunch means we're going to eat some food. So I have misled you and communicated something that wasn't true. So if Paul didn't mean to say that this was done in advance, then by using the word predestined, the, the Greek word, he has misled people, not just the people in Ephesus, but also the people in Rome, because he told them the same thing, which lends itself to he was being consistent about what he was communicating. He says, and we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. 
Here's how we know. For those God foreknew, knew about in advance, he also predestined, same word, to be conformed to the image of his son, that he might be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. So Paul doesn't just use, you can't make the statement that Paul used this word accidentally because he, he uses a very convincing argument. He's also going to use it again uh, in Ephesians, and we'll see that in a minute. And then he also uses it to the Romans. Peter uses very similar language to communicate the same thing because in 1 Peter, he says, Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ to God's elect, Exile scattered throughout the provinces of Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia. And when I was reading this, I was like, these sound like Starbucks drinks, but they're not, all right? Uh, but he says, to all of these places who have been chosen according to the foreknowledge of God the Father through the sanctifying work of the Spirit to be obedient to Jesus Christ and sprinkled with his blood. He makes the case, the same case that, hey, God chose us by his foreknowledge. And people get a little bit concerned. So it's like, what does that mean? Let me give you an example of God's perspective. Like you and I, um, we, we kind of are bound by time. God is not. So um, I know this is a microphone. Just bear with me. Didn't have time to put up a big illustration. Imagine if this was the beginning of time. Starts here, little green end. And the time is here. Everyone in the room, hopefully everyone watching online, we can see when time starts. We can see when time ends. We can see that because we're not inside bound by time. We can see all of the places in between the beginning and end of time. So because God could see all of the places from when time starts to when time ends because he's not bound by it, he can see when Joe decides to commit his life to Christ. He can see when Floyd decides to commit his life to Christ. He can see when everybody in the room and every person in human history decides to commit their life to Christ. Now, he can see that because he's not bound by time. So he can see it. In our case, it happens here, here, here. In his case, he just sees it all at once. And because he has, has knowledge of it, before it happens, foreknowledge, then he said, for everyone that I see, even though it hasn't happened yet, that commits their lives to Christ, I am going to choose them and predestine them to be a part of my family. The reason that we were predestined is not because God took away our ability to choose. God predestined us because of the choice that we made. And because of that choice, he says, you're now going to be a part of my family. I felt like I beat that to death, but hopefully uh, people understand it. But jumping back into the book of Ephesians, verse 7, here's what he says. In him, in God, we have redemption, or excuse me, in him, in Jesus Christ, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins in accordance with the riches of God's grace. He uses that word grace 11 times. He's going to talk about it over and over and over so that we have a thorough understanding of what it means to receive the grace of God. He says, in his, of God's grace, that he lavished on us with all wisdom and understanding. And he made known to us the mystery of his will according to his good pleasure, which he purposed in Christ. And here, this is important, to be put into effect when the times will have reached their fulfillment to bring all things in heaven and on earth together under one head, 
even Christ. So th- this, is, this is a lot, right? But bear with me. He starts explaining, here's what salvation provides. So when we experience salvation, we get redemption. We're redeemed from the curse of sin or the consequences of sin, which is death and separation from God. Um, we receive the forgiveness. So it's not like God says, okay, you get out of it this, this time, but, but now I'm still angry at you or mad at you because you got away. No, God redeems us. Then he forgives us and he reveals his will to us. And his will is the thing that that mystery that Paul's going to talk about over and over and over, that God wants salvation for every person on the planet. That's the mystery of God. He's going to talk about another aspect and say that God wants it not just for the Jews, but also for the Gentiles. Over and over, he's going to talk about this mystery that we get to experience uh, through God's will um, and all that. And here's the other thing. Uh, Each person gets to experience it in their time. God doesn't take away your choice. But once they make that choice, because God saw that because of his foreknowledge, he allows them to be a part of his family. In verse, uh, where are we at? Verse 11, he says this, in him we, now he's, when this verse specifically talking about the apostles, he says, in him we, the apostles, were also chosen, having been predestined according to the plan of him who works out everything in conformity with the purpose of his will. And here's why he did it. In order that we, the apostles, who were the first to hope in Christ, might be for the praise of his glory. And you, now that's everyone else, also were included in Christ when you heard the word of truth. He's going to explain, this is how salvation works. This this is the way it works. When you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation... Having believed, when you believe, you're marked in him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit, who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession, to the praise of his glory. He says, hey, this is the way that salvation works. He gives us the promised seal of the Holy Spirit. Because this is a supernatural or spiritual thing, you get a supernatural or spiritual guarantee of where you are in Christ. Now, I'm going to explain everything that we just said uh, in, in, in like Sesame Street format, keeping it really simple. All right, so here, here, here's how this works. Your salvation was always God's eternal plan. Before the foundation of the world, before the universe was created, and if you look online, there are scientists who have models that says, here's what happened when the universe was created at the first second, within a minute, within the, before any of that took place, God said it in his mind that you are going to be a part of my family. That was always God's plan A. God didn't look down and say, well, I guess there's no one else to love me, so I'll just settle for Floyd. God looked down at the mess that I was and says, I want Floyd to be a part of my family. The other thing is God predestined us because of our choice. He didn't take away our choice. Because he's not bound by time, he saw our choice and decided, hey, everyone who made that choice, you're predestined to be a part of the family of God, and trusting in Jesus is the only way to experience that salvation. He says we get that because we're redeemed by the blood of Christ. 
We don't get that because we do enough works. We don't get that because we're good people. We can, we can go to as many like um, volunteer things as we can. Uh, we can help little old ladies across the street. We can go do and give as much money as we want. None of that earns us salvation. The only way we experience salvation is putting our trust and our faith in Jesus Christ. And here's the thing. It brings redemption from, from the consequence of sin. It brings us God's forgiveness, and God gives us his Holy Spirit as a guarantee. There's not a single person who has ever stepped across the line of faith that had to wonder, I wonder if I'm now God's. And I, I'll share this with you. Um, she's not going to listen to this, but a, a, a friend of mine named Bree, uh, uh, Mark had a conversation with her after all her trials and struggles that she went through, and he was like, have you ever committed your life to Christ. She was like, yeah, when I was a teenager. And he asked her this crucial question. Did you mean it? And she was like, not really. Kind of like what the youth pastor told me to do. He said, say this. So I said this and I did it. Nowhere where Paul just explained it, did he say that you repeat a prayer. He said, when you hear the word of truth, then you believe it. And then once you experience and step across that line of faith and believe it, then God gives you his promised Holy Spirit. No one who has fully and wholeheartedly put their faith and trust in Christ ever has to wonder, I wonder where I'm going to end up when I leave this earth. Because God gives you a spiritual receipt so that you know that you are his. And I was going to have the, the, the band come up um, but I'm not, because we're, we're running on time. But I'm going to share this last verse, because this is key. It says, uh, and we're going to, um, we already talked about this, in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 4 and 5, he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. And he did it out of love. It was in love that he predestined us for adoption to sonship through Jesus Christ, and he was pleased to do it. And this was God's will. This is the mystery that Paul talks about. This is what God wants for every person on the planet, that we're all adopted into the family of Christ. This is what Christianity is supposed to be about. This is what the church is supposed to be sharing. This is what, like, the whole purpose, the whole reason the body of Christ exists is to make this known to the world so that the women who are struggling because of whether it be abuse or, or relationships, that they know, hey, God wants you to be adopted into his family so that the men who are struggling, whatever, God wants you to be adopted into his family so that the children, the adults, the grandparents, the butchers, the bakers, the candlestick makers, politicians, doesn't matter. God wants you to be adopted into his family so that you might experience redemption, you might experience forgiveness, and then he will give you the promised seal of his Holy Spirit so that you know that you are his. So I'm going to ask you guys to bow your heads because each and every one of us has people in our circles of influence uh, that we know are either struggling to understand this or no one has communicated it to them. And God, we pray that over the coming days and weeks, as we continue walking through your word, that you will put it upon our hearts to go to those people and do what the Apostle Paul said, make this our life's mission.
to let them know that they are loved by you. To let them know that before the foundation of the world was laid, to let them know that before the universe was created, that you had decided that you love them so much that you want them to be a part of your family. And we pray this in the name of your son, Jesus Christ. And everyone said, amen. Amen. Amen.